did you guys know in a lot of uh, logos, like for companies, there's always a hidden, I don't say hidden message, but there's something, there's some symbol inside the, inside the logo. So do you guys know for FedEx, for example, what's the logo hidden inside the... What would you say, Nedder? Yeah, Nedder, I mean, I'm glad you answered, but don't you got Sunday school, man? Okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry to call you out. <laughs> All right. I'm on a roll of embarrassing people this morning. Okay. The next one, Tostitos. Yeah. There's the two guys, like, you know, dipping right there. Okay. I shouldn't say dipping, but you know what I mean. Okay. <laughs> the, okay, how about, this, how about this logo here? <laughs> huh? 31 flavors, yeah, Baskin-Robbins has 31 flavors. So there's always, like, in a lot of logos, actually, there's always, like, a hidden thing inside the logo, like, to give multiple messages. This, the, like, the month of October for St. Mark Church has been so exciting. Like, the past two Sundays have been, like, it reinvigorates me as a priest. I hope it does for all of us, of us celebrating the baptisms of, 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 of uh, Alexander two weeks ago and Timothy today. Like, it, it, it recharges us. It reminds us of our baptism. And then next Sunday, we celebrate the baptism of Melissa and Alyssa. Like, all respect to baby baptism, somehow adult baptisms are more powerful to me. So, uh, so this is going to be a big Sunday next Sunday of us celebrating uh, the baptism of Melissa and Alyssa. It's going to be a... So should I say Melissa and Alyssa or Alyssa and Melissa? But Melissa and Alyssa, those two people getting baptized. But I want us to talk today, let's be real for a second. Baptism, is it really necessary? Like, why do we make a big deal? Is it just like a photo op? Is it just like an external declaration that I'm going to follow Jesus? Like, what's the deal with baptisms anyway? I mean, why can't I just take the words of Jesus? There was a guy that came to Jesus and says, Jesus, make it simple. What do I need to, like, give me the command that I guarantee a spot in heaven. Just give me the, 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 the easy, give me the HOV lane so I can get straight to heaven. Just tell me what do I need to do. Like, don't make it complicated. Just tell me what to do. So what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God holistically with all your soul, mind, strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, why can't you and I just take the words of Jesus and call it a day? Why can't we just take the words of Jesus and say, you know what? I'm going to love the Lord with every fiber in my being, with every cell in my body. I'm going to love with God, and I'm going to love my Lord, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. Why can't you and I just follow that and call it a day? Like, why do we have to go through this whole, like, long service and so much text and waking up early and all this for a baptism? Why? Like, why? I'm going to say this until I'm blue in the face. If you want to believe something, if you want to have an ideology if you want to have a theology that is attractive and convenient and appealing to you, you let me know what theology you want, and I can find a verse for you in the Bible that justifies what you want. <laughs> like, for example, I, I said, I'm not kidding. I, uh, my spiritual father, Father Anthony in D.C., he had a woman come up to him in the airport, and he says, does God want to give me the desires of my heart? And he's like, yeah, wait, wait, wait. where's this question coming from? I'm not kidding. The story was, like, this woman is, is about to, like, literally murder her, like, her boyfriend because of, like, this, like, long story. And she's explaining it. So she's saying, well, God wants to give me the desires of my heart. So God wants me to kill him, right? He wants to give me the desires of my heart, and my heart is to kill him. So if I want to do something, if I want to believe something, I can find a, a Bible verse to justify what I want to do. 
I want to share about a dialogue between two people, a conversation, one being the fullness of life, one being the God-man, one being God in a bod, one being the perfect fusion and union of humanity and the divine in one, one being Jesus of Nazareth. The other, his name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a top dog in the Jewish court system of Jerusalem. He's really up there in Israel. He's actually, the, the, the court system would be called the Sanhedrin. So this is equivalent to like the Senate or Congress. So, so Nicodemus was really up there as being a very prestigious politician, okay? So in the, in the Senate, or it's called the Sanhedrin, there's a collection of Pharisees and Sadducees. Those are the two labels of the Jewish leaders. He ends up being a Pharisee. The other group are, are Sadducees. One big difference between these two sects of Judaism, if you will, uh, is that Pharisees believe that there is a resurrection. There is a new life. The Sadducees do not believe that there is going to be a, a, a resurrection of the dead. That, see, that's why they're called Sadducees. They're, they're sad, you see? Okay. I love that joke. So you have the Sadducees and you have the Pharisees. So you have this Nicodemus, really prestigious guy. He has been a little bit interested in who Jesus is. He's been hearing these supernatural events in which Jesus did. He's experienced it. He's seen it. And the, the talk of the town is about who this rabbi is, Jesus. And he's obviously flipping everything upside down because he's so radical. He's so out there in the way he thinks. He's so out there in the way he lives as a Jewish man, trying to bring the fullness of Judaism, the fullness of humanity. He's trying to bring a new movement of Christianity, obviously. But everyone's talking about him. Obviously, you know, some people are all for him. Some people are like one foot in. Some people are like, no, he's going to like jeopardize my career. He's going to ruin everything. But Nicodemus was a little bit interested in who Jesus is. He doesn't want to lose his career either. If he gets caught as a Jewish politician talking to this radical Jesus, if he gets caught, if that's in public, man, he's done. He's done. Like his career is done. He's going to be known as, oh, he's a follower of Jesus as well. He's going, to lose his, he's going to lose his status. He's going to lose his career. So what does he end up doing? He's interested in Jesus. He schedules to meet with Jesus at night to avoid anyone seeing him. So he wants to make sure no one sees him as he meets up with Jesus. So he intentionally schedules a time with Jesus at night. But, you know, just to be fair, some uh, commentary would say, no, Nicodemus met with Jesus at night because Jesus is so busy throughout the day doing miracles, meeting with different people, so he didn't have a, a time until later in the evening. You can look at it both ways. But in either case, we know for sure that Nicodemus ends up meeting with Jesus at night, and here's a nice painting of that dialogue. And this is where we pick up. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, with all respect, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he opens up this conversation with Jesus saying, Rabbi, there's something about you. There's something unique about you. Because, like, there's no way you, you created the eyeball the other day. Like, there's no way you created the eyeball out of dirt and spit. There's no way you just did that, like, like there's, there's something about you. There's no way you just created thousands of fish sandwiches. There has to be something different about you. There's no way you are able to do any of this unless you are sent from God. Jesus replied, 
Very truly I tell you. Any, any time, like I said this before, any time you hear Jesus say, very truly I, I tell to you, or surely I say to you, any time you say that, this is Jesus saying, put, 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 put down your phone and listen to what I'm about to say. That's equivalent to what Jesus is saying. Hear, like, look, make, you know, look me in the eye, hear me out. Listen to what I'm about to say. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Nicodemus, I'm telling you, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What would your and I response, our logic response be? How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. A very logical response. Maybe a little sarcasm to Jesus, to be honest. What do you mean? I just asked you, are you legit? Because there's no way you're just a regular rabbi to do all this stuff the other week. And you respond saying, I have to be born again. Come on, what are you talking about? You see how old I am? Man, I'm almost close to, I'm close to retirement age. And you're telling me I got to be born again? <laughs> you, you want to go? My, my, my mom is long gone. She already, she already passed away. You want me to go back into my mother's womb? What are you talking about? A very logical, open, a little bit sarcastic response to Jesus. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you. Oh, I'm sorry, where are we? Okay, yeah, so it's because he begins again. He's like, listen up again. I thought, I thought I duplicated the slide. No, he's repeating again. He's making it clear. Hear me out, Nicodemus. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Jesus keeps on drilling this message of being born again, born again, born again. And then he adds another element by saying, actually, the two elements, the two components needed is water. You need H2O, and you need, you need a spiritual component as well. Like, both are needed. So Jesus keeps on drilling this, this aspect, this mystery of there being water and spirit in order for you to be born again. And he gives this wonderful analogy. Jesus tries to help him understand this. So he tells him this. Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it, is, where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So he's basically saying, you know how the wind, you get the wind. You understand the reality of wind, right? You go outside, you feel the wind. But can you tell me where it's coming from? Can you tell me its origin? And you can tell me its destination? You cannot fully comprehend the science of wind, but you know it's a reality. In the same way, in order for you to be born again, it is going to have to involve you going beyond your logic. It has to involve something beyond what you're able to see biologically. It has to go beyond of what, what is visible. And out of humility, Nicodemus is so intrigued, he's so engaged in this conversation, he keeps on leaning in toward Jesus, and he asks, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. And the conversation goes on. All of this is recorded by a first eyewitness, St. John, uh, in his gospel. And uh, this is, a, uh, this is um, chapter 3 of the gospel of John. And this is where we get one of the most fa famous verses in all of scripture where Jesus tells him, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. This is John 3.16. This happens in this dialogue, in this encounter, this night, in which Jesus, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. We can relate to Nicodemus on this. Nicodemus embraces the tension of the visible and the invisible. Nicodemus embraces the tension between what is visible, but there has to be something more. I get it. You're a rabbi, teacher, fabulous. 
you have to be sent from above. There has to be something more to you. There has to be an invisible component. There has to be a transcendent component, more than what I'm able to see with my own two eyeballs. There has to be something more going on here. Isn't this true for all of humanity? Aren't we all looking for something more? We end up using words, we end up using words of you know, looking for truth, looking for life, looking for peace. We end, up, we end up using these sometimes ethereal words that are not very tangible because all of humanity is looking for something more. Why? We are wired from the divine designer to be spiritual beings. We are wired from God to be yearning for something more, to be curious about more. Everyone, we always love to be curious about like, you know, I wonder what my purpose is. I wonder what's going to happen after this. We're always curious. Why? That's embedded within us in the very fabric of who we are from God. But Nicodemus embraces the tension of not just settling for what's visible. He doesn't just settle for logic, but he's pursuing what transcends logic. He embraces the tension of visible and invisible. And this, my friends, is the foundation of the first century church. This is the foundation of the movement of the way. By the way, when Christianity started, it wasn't like it just started to grow exponentially. No, there was a lot of people saying, is this a cult? Is this like a, a spinoff of Judaism? Like it got a lot of bad rep in the beginning because people didn't know. So they just labeled themselves, oh, they're part of the way. They're, they're, they're part of this, this other, you know, offsect of Judaism. But what was integral to what Jesus made very clear of beginning this movement is that there has to be a tension between what's visible and what's invisible. There has to be a tension between what is logic and what transcends logic. And this is the foundation of the mysteries of the church. And another word for mysteries is sacraments. The sacraments of the church, which the church has been celebrating in the first few decades, and Jesus made that very clear in many different situations, we don't have enough time to go through them, but there always has to be a visible component and there has to be an invisible component. The sacraments of the church, the mysteries of the church, is God taking what is visible and intersecting what is visible. It's God's invisible grace working through what is visible. It's God's invisible grace working through what is visible. You and I get this in everyday life. We see many things that are visible, a wedding ring, you name it, a trophy, but it reflects an invisible reality. In the same way, Jesus made that very clear, and this is the integral part to our pursuit of God. There is an invisible component, and there is a visible component as well. This is the sacraments of the church. <laughs> Jesus said it clearly. You need water. You got to get H2O. You need the water component, but you also need the spirit component. One is visible. One is invisible. Both have to go together. So Jesus made very, he gave basically the formula of a sacrament. You need both of these, Nicodemus, if you're wanting to gain new life. Why water? Why not? I don't know. Like, why water? Why not dirt? Why not? Like, why water? Let's take the words of a fourth century bishop as far as why water. His name is St. John Chrysostom. He said this in year 380 A.D. If anyone asks, how is someone born of water? I respond back to them. I ask in return, how is someone like Adam born from the earth? 
how was the clay separated into different parts? How were all different kinds of things, like bones, tendons, arteries, veins, and so on, made from one kind of material, which itself was only earthly? You know what he's saying? He's saying, like, why water? You tell me, is there a biological element that exists that its main component is water? The thing that gives life to so many things, including bones, tendons, arteries, veins, everything on earth, even humanity, even Adam, even the world is vast majority water. If, all of, if water is such an integral part to the very fabric of creation, and that's what gives life to all of creation, let's also use water to give life to us spiritually. He's, he's not overcomplicating it. If, the, if water gives life to things biologically, then let's also use water to give life spiritually. This is why blessing of a house, blessing of a car, blessing of whatever, we use what? Water. Like, if, if this is an integral elementary foundation to creation, then why are we asking God to use what he already uses to bless the creation? Why are we asking him to also use water again to give life, to be a blessing? We're always using something visible and asking for his invisible grace to intersect with what is visible. Now, let's kind of get down to it. The rubric of the mystery of baptism and chrismation. And we'll get to this. I want to share, especially before we celebrate uh, the baptism next Sunday of Melissa and Alyssa, that I want us to go through like the rubric, what are we going to, because I, let's face it, we kind of get into it and we're like, okay, next prayer, next, 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 the deacon forgot to move to the next slide, and we're just like, what, like we're not barely, like we're, we're not really there. So I want us to take a step back. For us to understand the profound structure and beauty of the prayers, so that way when we celebrate next Sunday their baptism, and every baptism obviously moving forward, God willing, is that it reminds us of our baptism, that we can gain something from it as opposed to Lord, um, and we're just kind of like, what's next? And we're not really understanding what's going on. So the first thing I want to highlight, the very first prayers that happen at a baptism is called consecrating of the water. Some, some Orthodox traditions will do this inaudibly, you know, with, uh, with a priest. I like to do it audibly. Like, I, I, want, I like to make this communal. So we're asking, okay, yes, this is H2O, but Lord, we're asking for you to intervene for this water, for it to become not typical water but for your Holy Spirit to descend upon this water. So all the prayers are focusing on the water. And to be honest, one of the prayers, one of the gospel readings, anybody know what's the gospel reading? We prayed it this morning. Anybody remember what was the gospel reading for this segment of the prayers? Perfect. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. That was a tough question, so I don't, sorry, I need to stop bullying people today. So it's, it's, it, John chapter 3, which we actually read the dialogue between Nicodemus and Jesus. So that, that's between, that's, like, we read that in that segment of the prayers. So this is obviously just a picture of a, well, you can't really see that well, but it's like a, I think a bishop uh, or a monk blessing uh, the baptismal font. The second component, there's Mr. Payam there for us, is oil. That the, the, those, the catechumens, that's the formal word. A catechumen is someone who is taking steps to be part of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So as they come to the church, the church blesses them with oil. Why? Why oil? Can't you just do the sign of the cross and say, yeah, you're blessed and that's it. Why oil? Again, we're using something visible for God's invisible grace to work through what is visible. Historically, scientifically, biologically, biologically, I said that right. All of those reasons. Anytime I have a physical wound, a physical wound. Do you know what, you know, what, a, what a gladiator or warrior would put on a wound to keep on going to heal? He would put oil on the wound in order for it to heal. 
if this is true biologically and historically, we're asking God, okay, there's actually spiritual wounds within us as well. So we're asking for this holy oil to bless my thoughts, for my thoughts to belong to, to be aligned with your thoughts. Lord, I want my words not to be words of divisive and selfish and egotistical. I want my words to bring uh, life and reconciliation and reconnection with others. Lord, I want my actions to be not for myself but for others, for me to be the hands and feet of Christ. This is why the church blesses a catechumen, those who are about to be baptized in the same way, regardless of age, regardless if they're an infant or, or an adult. This is the blessing the church blesses them with oil. The second part is renouncing Satan. Renouncing Satan. Let me, let me make this very, let me put this out. The wording of the prayers literally seem as if the person being baptized is demon-possessed. The words are saying, Lord, remove all idolatry, all witchcraft, all sorcery from this person. And like, it sounds offensive, but we need to, like, if we take a step back, yes, our, our lens, when we hear the word sorcery or magic or witchcraft, we think of like, you know, whatever, something we see online, online like crazy stuff. But if, we be, if we're honest, the strategy of how the devil works within us is he's planting a seed of like, what's the big deal of me doing this one time? You know what? It's okay for me to talk to this person like this because what they did to me. We begin to become possessed by the devil working within us. Not demon possession in the way we think of it, but we're beginning to become possessed. He's, he's creeping into our ideology of how we think. And this is how he begins to work within us. So we're asking for any work of the devil to be removed from this person. So they literally face toward the West, those who are getting baptized, and they raise their hand and say, I renounce you, Satan, and all your unclean works. I renounce you. Like, you, you, cannot, tr you cannot trample me down because you have already been trampled by Christ. You don't, you don't define me. You got nothing on me. So they literally say those words, not those words I just said, but they say the prayer of I renounce you. Then after that, they face toward the east and they declare their identity. They say, I accept you, my Christ, my king. And they, they, they accept words. From then as well, the church takes the cross and, and, and says the prayer of absolution on them. And, 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 and this is straight up scripture where Jesus told his disciples, you have the authority to, to forgive sins and to retain sins. So we understand that to be the continuity of the, the, the priesthood. So this is the absolution or the prayer prayed over them. And then from there, we have triple immersion. Where, where the person is baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they are fully immersed. Why? Because we know from Scripture that Jesus came out of the water at his baptism. So, you know, we don't overcomplicate things. If Jesus came out of the water, then for us to be born again through water and spirit, we come out of the water as well. We don't complicate it. So this is, so there's a triple immersion in the triune God, in the Holy Trinity. So this is why it's a triple immersion. And then from there, we have the chrismation. So chrismation is coming from the word chrism. So chrism is a special holy oil that... I, I, it's, it's, you can look into it. It's amazing of how the beauty of this holy oil has its roots from the first centuries of Christianity and has continued throughout the church. Like the other two oils that, that, are, that are used in the baptismal service, that can be, you know, that, that can be any type of oil that you get from a store and for it to be used for the service. But the holy chrism, or the Coptic word is myrun, this cannot be any oil. Like I have to get it from a bishop. And the bishop has to get it from the collection of other bishops. And, 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 and those bishops are getting it. There's this strong lineage of how this holy chrism has existed throughout this pre-denominational 
ancient church. You can actually look up, it's a, it's a big service when they make this holy chrism. It's really cool pictures when you see how the bishops make this holy chrism. And then they end up bringing it to every corner of the world, to every church. And then from there, whoever uh, gets baptized after their baptism and after they change, a red ribbon is put on them to reflect that they, what identifies them is the blood of Christ. This is their new life. They begin a new start wearing white. And what identifies them is not their own, not their ego, not their status. What defines them? is who their savior is. Do you know what Jesus ended up doing? Uh, do you know what Jesus ended up doing after he talked to Nicodemus? He said, peace, Nicodemus. It's good chatting with you. Nicodemus probably didn't feel like a million bucks because he's like, what, what does that mean, like being born again? So it, it didn't end like where he felt like nice and warm and gushy inside. You know what Jesus ended up doing the next morning? He went to go baptize people. Like that's where we get chapter 4 of John. So we see Jesus going and baptizing people. Jesus now living the sacramental life, using visible, his invisible grace working through what is visible. And now you see the movement of the way picking up and using baptism as an integral part to gain new life for those who are wanting to follow Jesus. St. Paul said it this way. He's, as he's asking these questions. He's writing to the city of Rome. He tells them this. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And we say, he's saying, don't you know, like, baptism is not just like a, a photo op? Don't you know it's not just a whatever? Don't you know we are sacramentally, through the mysteries of the church, we are dying to him and rising? We are embracing the totality of who Jesus is through this mystery? Don't you know that it's not just whatever? Don't you know that this is a mystical reality? This is a sacramental reality? We are dying with him and rising as a new person. Yes, it transcends logic. It transcends what is visible. But don't you know that there's more to life than what is logical? Isn't there more to life than what is visible? So he's asking this in a very question format. Then he writes another letter to the city of Thessalonica. And he tells them this. Brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the tradition we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. You know what St. Paul is telling this city in Greece, Thessalonica? He's telling, he's telling the Thessalonians, hold on to the very fabric and life of the church. The life of the church is more than just text. It is, it is the ethos of the church. It is the breath of the church. Like, be in, integrated into the life of the church for you to grow. It's not about text and do this and don't do that. You need to live in the church for you to grow and find edification in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So hold on to the traditions. Either something I wrote to you, fabulous, even if something I didn't write to you, but you know it's it built into the very fabric of this first century church. So he's telling them to embrace the totality of the church. Many people would say, okay, cool. Sure. What you said, fine. Explain. Explain how a piece of bread and some wine you got from Kroger, explain to me how those become the body and blood of Christ. Explain to me how you, in this room, you're going to put a big tub and fill it with water for God knows how long, I don't know how, whatever. You do that. You explain to me how two women will go into, the in, into this tub, into this font, and they gain new life. Please explain it to me. Great question. The response I love to give is a quote from a bishop. His name is Callistus Ware. And this is what he said. We see, we see that it is not the task of Christianity to provide easy answers to every question. 
what is this bishop saying? It's not, my ta it's not our task to give the best logical answer to every question, but to make us progressively aware of a mystery. Here's the, here's the best part. God. God is not so much the object of our knowledge as the cause of our wonder. Let's read that quote again. I love it. We see that it is not the task of Christianity to provide easy answers to every single question, but to make us progressively aware of a mystery. God is not so much the object of our knowledge as the cause of our wonder. I can't explain to you. I can't explain to you communion. I can't explain to you baptism. I can't explain to you marriage, how two come and one leave. I can't explain. But what I do know if this was made clear and articulated very well and lived out by Jesus, he predicted his own death, rose from the dead, and tons of people who were initially skeptics were all into him. I'm all in. I can't explain it. But I do know it's life. How? That's not my department. But I want to become progressively aware of a mystery. God is not so much the object of my knowledge but as the cause of my wonder. You know what happened to Nicodemus at the end of his life? You know, like, how did, like, what, whatever happened to him after that? Did he lose his position of a politician? What ended up happening? We get this from the end of St. John's Gospel. And Nicodemus, the same guy who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. The same one, who came with a little bit of skepticism, a little bit of sarcasm to Jesus, that same one ends up being the one to bring down Jesus from the cross. You see him in this icon carrying Christ and bringing him down. The same one who was kind of one foot in. And, and St. John makes it clear, yeah, that, that's Nicodemus. He had the first guy that came by Jesus at night. Yeah, remember the one I told you about a few chapters ago? Yeah, that him, him, the same guy. He ends up being the one to give honor and reverence to a dead body, but he knows that this will lead to new life. I pray for us that we do not just go through the motions of the sacraments of the church, that when we enter the mystery of confession, when we enter the mystery of communion, when we enter the liturgy, when we enter the, the mystery of chrismation, when we enter the mystery of baptism, we're not... We're not just going through the motions. This is God's invisible grace working through what is visible. Let us stand and say a prayer together. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, there is tons of things in which we do not know. And we know there's so many things in this world that give us so much uncertainty. But one thing that we are certain of is you in our lives, is the reality of you within us, the reality of you giving us the church and the mysteries in order for us to find life and edification. Lord, I pray that this is a reminder for myself and for all of us, that for us to pursue God, it will always go beyond my logic, that I want to come to you with my logic, but know that ultimately your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts and for us to find life in you through the mysteries of the church. 
through the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray, thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, guys. Next Sunday, we begin our new series on Elijah.